Amen. Thank you, Logan. This morning, guys, I want to begin a new series that God has laid on my heart about a subject that I think is as relevant as any that I can think of. It's the topic of revival. We need to be reacquainted with a living God. And I'm not just talking about me personally. And I'm not just talking about those of us in this room. We all do. All in this, in this nation and, and, and Bristol and, and my heart's prayer, as I know it is for many of you, is that there might be a sweeping movement of the Spirit of God that spreads out among us and reignites us. It seems like the flicker of God, the flame of God, is so tiny in most of us. And I pray that God will change that. Quite frankly, He's the only one who can. And this morning, I wanted to, I got to thinking, God's laid this on my heart. What to speak about in this area of revival? And I came to, uh, I wanted to start this thing with Genesis 1, 26 and 27. As I want to look at what we're meant to be before sin entered the picture and corrupted us. What we're to be, what, how God really intended us to be. And so let's look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor as I read His Word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Let's pray. Lord, we're desperate, God. Um, Lord, something's wrong with us, Lord. Help us. Fix us. Just uh, grab a hold of us, God. When I say us, I obviously am putting me on top of it, Lord. I pray that you might speak through me this morning. We want to continue a worship hour. And we want you to be the object of that worship. So, Lord, uh, have your way. In your name we ask it. Amen. You know, I got to thinking about revival. Revival is not something done to bring people in, but it's something done within the hearts of God's people to get them out of their selfish little worlds. We all fall into these selfish little worlds that we live in. I wrote, revival is not about changing those around me as much as it is about changing me. You see, the problem is not those who need the church. It's that the church needs to become reacquainted with the Master, Jesus Christ. And guys, I believe that. I believe that when we become reacquainted with the One who loves and forgives and guides us, that we can't help but get out of the walls of this building. And touch lives with a message of hope. Here's a quote from a few other people. Billy Sunday, who God used to speak and touch a lot of lives. One lady asked him, said, uh, 
Billy, why in the world do you have so many revivals? They don't last. Billy Sunday just looked at this lady and said, why in the world do you take so many baths? Because we need to be cleaned up. God needs to grab hold of us. A couple of other quotes. Uh, James A. Stewart, The kingdom of God is not going to advance by our churches becoming filled with men, but by men in our churches becoming filled with God. You see, we're filled one way or the other. Are we filled with God? Stephen Olford writes, Revival restrains the righteous anger of God, restores the conscious awareness of God, and reveals the gracious activity of God. This led me back to think about, okay, God, where, where do you want me to, to start this, to, to talk about revival? And, and so I thought about how we're meant to be. The Bible says, as we read in Genesis 1, created in His image, in His likeness. So what does that mean? And we're going to talk about that this morning. That God maybe help us get reacquainted with who we're meant to be. And, and so as I talk about that, uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 first. Make statements that's interesting. Most of us, when we think about the beginning, we think about this book, Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, and we think about how it opens up and says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But do you realize that in the scripture that wasn't the beginning? Do you realize, and I'm not just talking about God being eternal, the Alpha and the Omega. I'm talking about before the heavens and the earth were created, before this earth was filled with all kinds of life, God was thinking about something else. Look at Ephesians 1, 4. It says, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Before He created this planet, before He created all of the planets, all those solar systems, all of it, He was thinking about you. He was thinking about you and He had a plan. Guys, He wanted to adopt you into His family. He knew that Jesus would be sent, that He would pay the price for sins, and He was thinking about you. That's what it's all about. He loves you. That is what it's all about. And doesn't it feel good to be chosen? You know, I thought about this as I thought about the Scripture. Uh, when I was a little guy, I was shy, man. And uh, I remember him trying to get me to play kickball. I think it was about first, second grade. I don't know. I was scared. I thought, man, what if I miss that ball? And I kick and I fall down and get hurt. Or what if they laugh at me if I just look stupid? And so I wouldn't play. And the kids would pick on me and I'd cry. I was tough, right? So I said, I can't help. And so uh, finally one day the teacher was real nice. and You know, just try it, Todd. Just try. I said, okay, I'll try. So I kicked the ball and believe it or not, I kicked it pretty good. And I took off around the bases and I got to about third base. And I thought, well, this isn't so bad. And you know what? The next time that they chose teams, I wasn't last. And it felt really good. In God's mind, you were never last. He handpicked you. You are precious to Him, guys. 
And before I even get into these five areas of what it means to be in the image of God, just remember that. You're special to Him. Alright, let's look at these areas. First area, which shows that we are in God's likeness and image, is that He has given us language. Do you know, I don't know who put this together, but some guy a lot smarter than me says that a baby can retain up to 1,000 trillion items of information for language. Dude, that's 15 zeros. That's a lot of items. More than I could think of storing somewhere. But God has created the mind to be able to retain language. Why? Because He's a God of relationship. He's all about that. He's all about communicating. And He's reached out to us in His great communication. And we know how we need one another and how we need to communicate. Even much more so, that comes because we're in His image. He's made us to communicate with Him. And thus communicate correctly with one another. And, and, and that's, that's just a sign of being in His image. Turn me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, I always thought this was one of the neatest little pieces of uh, truth here in God's Word. Verse 8 and 9, we quote so much great verses of Scripture, talk about it's by grace you've been saved through faith, this not of yourselves, the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast and brag about it. Verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. Guys, that word workmanship comes from the Greek word poema. That's the word we use poem for. In other words... You were created by the greatest creator of all. You're his masterpiece. Man, he designed you. He, he created you especially for his glory. It's the way it worked. I wrote down here as I thought about it, the idea of, uh, what this means to, uh, create. And, uh, just a few thoughts I wrote that a poem is a group of words that have been placed carefully together to communicate to someone else a message of passion that rests within the Creator's heart. God wanted to express His passion for life through you. And He made you. And you're like Him in His image. So therefore, you have a desire to create, to express yourself. God has placed innately within each of us a desire to create. Some do it through art. Um, some do it through their work. I mean, there's no set way to express yourself. But it's the image of God within you seeking to express and to create. And it's all about worship, no matter how it's expressed. It's designed for worship so that we can be like our dad. And that we can show Him to others through our lives. And he's, He does that through us uniquely. It's, it's just a beautiful thing the way He does that work, guys. So I'm going to ask you, what kind of poem are you? You know, as I thought about that, are you a tragedy? You know, but some people out here, man, it's, it's always falling apart. Something's wrong. Or are you a drama? Are you a comedy? I feel like a comedy sometimes. Slapstick. Um, or how about just a classic? People remember you. And hopefully it's because the glory of God's in you, right? What, what, 
how are you to be remembered? What kind of work of God? All right, next one. Third is the capacity to love. This is First John four sixteen, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in Him. Part of being in the image of God is that you are made to love and to be loved. Love is something that should flow through you and to you, and, and it, it, something to be shared. And that's a sign God made you. And, and when we're loving, then the image of God's being expressed, guys. Listen to this great, uh, this is from Arthur Rubenstein, a famed pianist. On his 84th birthday, he shared these words. As long as we have what we have inside, the capacity to love, to work, to hear music, to see a flower, to look at the world as it is, nothing can stop us from being happy. But one thing you must take seriously, you must get rid of the ifs of life. Many people tell you, I would be happy if I had a certain job, or if I were better looking, or if a certain person would marry me. There isn't such a thing. You must live your life unconditionally. Without the ifs. Instead of being stuck in yesterday or worried about tomorrow, love today. That's the message. That's the expression of the image of God. That God's holding me. He's caring for me. That means I'm not worried. Oh man, I'm worried sometimes, right? But God loves me. And it frees me to love. Being in the image of God. Fourth is Holiness. There's a longing within us to be good and to do good, and that's the image of God. That's God in us. And, and we get confused sometimes and think being good is by looking around us, but being good's never about looking around us. It's always by looking at Him. He is the standard of what's good. If you want to know what's good, look at Jesus. Jesus is the one we follow. Jesus is the one we're to live for. Jesus is the example, guys. He's to be the main influence. It says, For whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. 1 John 2, 6. That's the goal. That's what we're about. That's who we're to follow. W.S. Plumer said it this way. He said, We will never see sin aright until we see it against God. All sin is against God in this sense. That... It is His law that is broken, His authority that is despised, His government that is set at naught. Pharaoh and Balaam, Saul and Judas, each said, I have sinned. But the returning prodigal said, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And David said, against thee, thee only, have I sinned. That's an expression of of God's image, guys. Is that desire to do good and be good. And it comes only in Him. As that image is expressed through Jesus. Alright. Next, there's immortality. Within mankind, there's always been the desire to live forever. And if you look at the ancient Persian kings, they would say, may the king live forever. Uh, if you look at the ancient uh, medieval alchemists, they brewed a concoction, so this would send you to eternity, I think, made out of toad's liver, mouse dung, and dog hair. Yeah, wake you up anyway, for sure. But they would take that in order to just live on and on. 
Kings would demand that uh, their wives bear them a son so that their name could live on. There was this desire to live forever. To, and, and as you look across graveyards, there's markers so that people will not be forgotten. So that their memory will continue to live on and on and on. And guys, this is even expressed in the Scripture. Uh, if you turn with me to Second Samuel 18. 18, we read about this. It says, during his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself. For he, have, for he thought, I have no son to carry on the memory of my name. He named the pillar after himself, and it is called Absalom's Monument to this day. There was that desire to live forever. Guys, um, we will live forever. You know, someone said there's a, I hadn't seen it, but there's a bumper sticker out there that says, Eternity, your choice, smoking or non-smoking. You know, I mean, this thing about eternal life, everybody's got eternal life. Where are you going to spend it? It's the question. Will you spend it with our Lord and God in heaven? Or will you spend it separated from Him in a place that the Bible describes as a terror? as a continual nightmare. But eternity, immortality, it's not just something we long for. The Bible says it's real. And we better be sure that we listen to what God has to say about it. Because He has reached out to offer His forgiveness. And He did that at the cross, so He's done all that He can really do to provide it. We just have to say, Lord, I'll receive it. And I will take what you offer. Last one here, guys, that expresses the image of God. And then I'm finished. It is freedom. You know, man has a tendency to misinterpret freedom as independence. This started back with that old serpent. Satan said, you know, you'll be free if you eat this fruit that God forbid. Because then you'll be able to make your choices. But freedom is never mere independence because the truth is the Bible clearly says that we're all slaves. It's just a matter of who we are a slave to. Who's your master? If you look in Romans chapter 6, it says we're either a slave to righteousness or we're a slave to sin. It's one or the other. In our terms, of course, in the faith, we're either a slave to Christ or we're a slave to the sinful nature and to the one who rules in wickedness. So who, who are you a slave to? Too. That that's really the question. It talks about in James one fourteen through fifteen. It says because when we're tempted, we're tempted by our own evil desires, so that what is conceived in us can give birth to sin. That there's a there's something attractive about it that's within us that pulls us away from God, but that's not freedom. We're slaves. And the Bible, of course, says that our righteous deeds, although we think they're great, are still filthy rags next to the one who is freely righteous. And Jesus made it clear. He said in Matthew seven eighteen, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Thus, by their fruit, you're going to recognize them. 
We need to understand that. Even Paul, who seemed to have it together, and we a lot of times look at him as the ultimate spiritual hero, you know. But uh, the truth of the matter is, the guy struggled. Listen to what he said in Matthew 7. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. What nature? For I have a uh, uh, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? You see, man desperately desires freedom, but he often looks in the wrong place. Where's the right place? Turn me to Galatians five one. Has the right places expressed? Uh, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The verse itself stresses the fact that one who is free in Christ has been set free. Vines in his commentary on the Greek comments, and he says that that phrase there that says freedom and the term to set us free, it's, it's speaking about a practice in the ancient Greek times where those who were enslaved occasionally would have a master who cared. And he would go to the temple that worshipped the false gods, and he would, he would take a sacrifice. And he would place it there. The slave couldn't afford it. But they would take the necessary sacrifice. And the, the master of the slave would place it there. And then there would be a document that would be signed. Because now this slave belongs to one of the gods, little g. And so there would be a document that was signed by the master that this sacrifice was for that slave. And the result was that now that slave belonged to the gods. He was no longer under the power of slavery because the God had set him free. And thus he was viewed as being free. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You see, guys, when Jesus died on that cross, He paid the price. And when you bowed your heart to Him, those of you who are His kids, when you bowed your heart to Him and you said, Jesus, I need to be forgiven. Come live in me. Give me new life. Direct me. When you did that, guys, you were bought. Suddenly you became His. So those of you who are a part of the family of God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. Just think about that, guys. Um, as I close, I read about this. This happened back in the late 1980s. Uh, there was an old show called T.J. Stryker, I think it was. And uh, they were going to film a scene of, of the show down in West Palm Beach. And while they were filming down there... Um, the guys came out there and they were going to do this incredible scene where they were they were blowing up cars in his yard in the yard. They had asked if the people live there. They said, "Is it okay if we do this?" And they said, "Yeah, sure." And they were going to drive a car through the house, 
part of the scene. But before they could do that, somebody tipped off the owner who lived in New York. And so they called up there and the owner, you know, had sent message down there, what are y'all doing to my property? Well, of course, the people thought that those who gave them permission owned the property. And they didn't. They were just living there. You are not your own. One day, the Bible says we will give account of our lives because, quite frankly, I I belong to Jesus. And if you're His kid, so do you. So when we look at this idea of uh, God's image, this is what it's meant to be. And may God return us there and set us on the path toward Him. Let's pray. Lord, It's good to be among your people. Lord, we are thirsty, we are hungry. As we look as how at how it's meant to be, we confess it's not how it is, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would change that in my life, Lord. In the lives of my friends, family here. Get a hold of us, Lord. Wake us up. Shake us up. Break us up if necessary so that, Lord, you might be lifted up. We look to you, Lord. Work. Have your way. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.